0: with with you. And um but I do enjoy getting to know them and talking to them at the, at the door and doing a high five fist bump whatever the case may be and uh, being silly with them I love doing that as well. This you know uh, 2 weeks ago at Vacation Bible School um we have the Denio family they're from Indonesia and they've not been back through covid because they're they're still sort of you know concerned about covid and um, uh, but the kids came, and they they were masked through the whole VBS. And the little one, um, her her name is uh, Sharon. No, yeah. A- anyhow, the, the littlest one, she, I came over to her table at v- Vacation Bible School. She was sitting with my granddaughter at her table, and she said to me, "She goes, Pastor Dave, can you just give me a hug?" <laughs> and she said. I miss, I miss you so much, you know, and I told her, I said, well, uh, you know, I said maybe now that, you know, COVID is starting to, uh, you know, because they're very aware of, of, uh, of COVID. And so, uh, you know, maybe it's now that it's starting to sort of dissipate, just don't watch the news, you know, (laughs) otherwise you'll just, you'll lose your minds, but, you know, maybe we'll get to see you more. So, um, you know, our children, it's, it's amazing how little it takes to really affect them, you know, and the opportunities that we have. Uh, to be able to affect kids is just so phenomenal, you know. And so, may the Lord give us opportunity to do that more in the days to come. Amen. <clears throat> amen. All right. Thank you for that. Single. Amen. Appreciate that. <clears throat> I'm hoping we're going to do more in the days to come. So, uh, turn off your phone now. You can pay attention. All right. All right. So, so as we go on this series here through the summer, I've enjoyed doing this about well. hard questions God asks you, specifically the tough questions that Jesus poses to us, and so. Uh, today, we're going to look at this question. It's sort of an unusual question. Um, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And this is a great question that Jesus asks, and so let's delve into it today. Um, we're going to start in John chapter 6. We'll start in the Gospel of John, and then we'll go into the Synoptic Gospels to see what they say about this as well. And so in John 6, we have the feeding of the, what's called defeating of the 5,000, starting with verse 1. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? I mean, right off the bat, that doesn't seem like a question Jesus should ask. I mean, he's Jehovah Jireh, right? He's the provider. And then he asks Philip, hey, hey, Philip. I mean, can you imagine being poor Philip? <laughs> I mean, you're the master. Why are you asking me? Right? Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse 6, this, this is the money right here. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't that interesting? Philip answered him, "Uh, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. so this is the Gospel of John's, this is John's perspective on the feeding of the 5,000. And so it's it's interesting because it's the last of the Gospels that was written, you know. And so um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written. John comes along later on. This Gospel is comes out. And so John's perspective is very humble in this. And, um, and we'll see that when we, you know, there's a couple things about that. But it's interesting, number one, that you see that when God does things, He's looking for a partnership with people. He's always looking for a partnership with people. And so we see this happening in this story. You know, Um, he's looking for those who will invest in the kingdom, for those who will give him the time, who will work alongside of him. He's looking for those who will help him do what his calling is. And so Jesus knows what he's going to do, but he asks Philip for his opinion. You know, and... um, and at times, that can be a little annoying. But at the same time, Jesus does it because he wants to involve Philip in what's going on. Right? In John 6, 6, it says, he asked Philip this question in, in, in the NIV. It says to prove him, to, or excuse me, in the King James, it says to prove him. Um, in, the, in the NIV, it says to test him, you know, uh, to see if he had faith or if he would show that he believed that Jesus had the power to supply And so this is why Jesus asked this question. This is why he he does this to us as well. It's not that he needs our input because he doesn't have the answer, because Jesus is the answer, right? He's the answer key. And so yet he asks these questions from us as well because he wants to prove us so that we can either fall into line and believe him or not, whatever the case may be, you know? Um, he wants us to believe in a miraculous too. It's important for us to do that. And it's interesting as he asked Philip, and Philip is sort of like shifting in his in his seat or in his in his in his feet. You know, Andrew comes along and interjects, "Well, hey, uh, we've got some food here, Lord. It's five little loaves and two small fish. <laughs> oh, wow, big supply. You know, interesting." Uh, Andrew is the only guy who comes up with a solution on that. And he was sort of like a solution guy, if you know it. The interesting part is that if Jesus wanted to feed the multitude, he actually didn't need anything. Because when the children of Israel wandered for 40 years through the wilderness, God gave them bread from nothing. It literally was on just on the ground. I mean, Jesus could have done that if he wanted to. He could have just said, hmm, I'm feeling like manna today. You know, and then all of a sudden, there would have been manna there. I mean, can you imagine the stir that would have made? Although, you know, taking, uh, you know, two uh, Subway tuna subs and feeding 20,000 people is pretty good, (laughs) you know, um, when you think of it. But he didn't do that because, again, he wanted to engage people. And the interesting thing is that that little boy in his willingness to give up his lunch I mean, maybe he didn't like his mom's lunch. You know, I mean, that's a possibility, right? Not tuna again, you know. You know, I'm sure it wasn't tuna fish, but, uh, you know, not not fish again. You can have my lunch. I don't want it. Whatever. And it doesn't record the kid's name. But the reason why, I think, is because, listen, Jesus asked us all to commit what we got. Everybody. And sometimes what you got is just ever so little, you don't think it's of any value. right. When was the last time Jesus tested you in something to see if you had faith or believed that he could actually perform a miracle? When was the last time he tested you in that? I guarantee he wants to. Amen? In Matthew chapter 14, Matthew's version of this in the synoptics now, this is written earlier, and uh, it's interesting. John says Jesus fed the people. Matthew records something just a little bit different on that as well. Verse 13 of chapter 14 of Matthew When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So what he hears is that John the Baptist has just been beheaded by Herod. So he hears incredibly bad news. His cousin is dead. The forerunner is dead. And so Jesus is struggling right now with the emotions of what's happening in his life. You know, um, Listen, when you see somebody, you don't know what's going on in their life. You know, you don't know. Like Billy talked about that a little bit. You know, like um, my week has been slightly hectic this past week. You know, it's been very unusual and everything. But listen, you know, it started with a flat tire on Wednesday, and and here I am today. So, uh, you know, it's been a whirlwind of stuff. And that's okay because, um, listen, when we go through tough times, what do we know? We know that God has a plan and that he's working all things together for our good. And so we can depend on that. Even though the situation doesn't look like it, we know God is working all things together for our good, right? And so um, Jesus gets this bad news, though, about John, and so he's got to have some emotions about this, right? And I want you to get this. The emotions that you feel about the situation you're in are totally fine. It's okay to feel emotions. It's okay to be wrapped up in them, you know? But sometimes you have to push through them as well, all right? You know, just because you're conflicted doesn't mean you can't serve the Lord. All right? Okay. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> I mean, that statement there, man. The Lord has just smacked me with that so many times. <laughs> you give them something to eat. You, not your brother, not your sister, but you give them something to eat. You know, and Jesus is just—I I, I can imagine the disciples like, like we got nothing. They don't have anything. I mean, Simon's got to, like, rifle some kid's lunch, you know? He's got to shake down some kid and promise him something, you know? Hey, kid, can you share that? I don't want to share it. Listen, I'll I'll give you an autographed picture of Jesus or something. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, all they have is five loaves and two, uh, uh, you know, a couple sandwiches amongst them all, all right? We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, as he directed the people to sit down the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is totally incredible. And listen, this is recorded in all four Gospels. And so it's not like this is an outlying, you know, story that was told. This was, this was, you know, eyewitness seen by thousands of people, all right? And so we see here as well, I think that maybe Jesus had, we talked about that emotions, I think maybe, you know, he was a little frustrated, he was a little tired, maybe exhausted. You know, did Jesus get exhausted? I mean, he was human. You minister to a crowd like that; it's exhausting, you know. And so uh, Sundays for me, like Sunday afternoon, like Mike, if of all four grandkids are at my house, Sunday afternoons I'm wasted, man. By the time Sunday, by by the time my grandkids go, I'm I'm totally I'm I'm totally exhausted. Sometimes I'll I'll actually go home on a Sunday sometimes, and like Laura will have she'll be uh, finishing getting dinner ready and everything. There's like a day bed in, in, in the spare room in our house. Sometimes I'll go in and just for five minutes, I just want to be in quiet. I just want to just lay there in quiet. Like the first time Laura saw me, do it, she's like, is there something wrong? And I'm like, nope. There's a lot of things right right now. I just need five minutes before the mayhem of the afternoon starts, you know? Because sometimes you just need that. You know what I'm saying? And so Jesus, I think, he was exhausted. That's why he finally, he finally turns to the disciples and says, listen, they need something to eat. You give them something to eat. You do it. You know? He challenged the disciples to feed them. And so what is the impossibility that God has challenged you in? I mean, when was the last time he challenged you in something that was impossible and said, you do it? I mean, if, if he hasn't, maybe you gotta get closer to him. Because if you get close enough to him, he's gonna challenge you with the impossible because he's the God of the impossible. He's going to challenge you with a miracle because he's the God of miracles. You understand? Matthew chapter 15. So the next chapter, this is going... It doesn't say how long this is from Matthew 14 to Matthew 15, but it's only one chapter in my Bible. It might have been days or weeks, maybe. Maybe a couple months, maybe. I don't think it was really that long. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee... Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered. Now, his disciples answered the same question he asked a chapter earlier. The disciples go, "Uh, where can we get enough bread to buy in this remote place to feed such a crowd? I mean, they're they're trying to sound good, right? Because that's what Jesus said, so it must be okay. And so what does he say? Verse 34, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, seven, they replied, and a few small fish. They came a little more prepared this time, maybe. (laughs) He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. So here, you know, they have seven loaves, they feed everybody. And that loaf is just, it's, it's like a flatbread, like you would get on a pita sandwich, basically. They have seven pitas to start with. They end up with seven baskets of fragments left over after everybody ate. Absolutely miraculous. Sometimes we think what we have is too insignificant for the Lord to use. Sometimes in our lives, we're like, well, listen, there's a multitude that needs to be fed, but all I have is a couple of pieces of bread. Sometimes... There's, you know, a multitude that has to be fed, and all we have is the meager talent that we have, the ability that we have that is not good enough. You know, like in worship service, the early service, and in this service here, everybody who was leading, I, I don't know if Mary crapped out with her voice, but uh, Billy, Heather, and I did, you know, uh, because you know what, we're not professional singers. I don't know if you did, Mary, I'm not really sure. No, you, were, you She was perfect, actually, so, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, come on, listen. Sometimes you just aren't good enough. I'm a teen talent loser. I'm a fine arts loser. I'm a fine arts loser. You know? Back in the day when I was in that, only one person in the section moved on. I didn't move on hardly ever because it just wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, the reality is it's difficult sometimes because you don't measure up. You're not as good as other people. You're not perfect like they are. Guess what? They're not perfect either. But the reality is, even if you're not good enough, God can take what you have and use it. God can do something miraculous with the little bit that you've got. It doesn't take much. It just takes belief in him to give it to him and say, Lord, here it is. Use it. You got to be willing to give it up for him to use, you know? Um, And this is interesting. I mean, God made us for this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has ordained things for you to do that before you were even born, these things were ordained for you to do in your life. Are you willing to step into them? As Jesus came, he said, I come to do the works of the Father. Then as he left, as Jesus left, he gave his disciples to do his works. That's what we do. We do the works of Christ. We declare his generation to this world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we're told that each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so you've got to be faithful to give whatever God has given you, whatever gift he's given you. You might say, well, he was sort of chintzy when he gave it to me. Then use it for God. It might not be much. But use it for God and let him bless it and multiply it in your life and in the lives of others. You know, a lot of us say we want to serve God. Many of us only want to serve him as an advisor, though. <laughs> you know, we want to be in his service, but we want to be God's advisor. We want to tell him what he should do. And the reality is he's looking for us not to be his advisor, but for him to be our advisor, to tell us what to do. You know what I'm saying? Right? Um. And and the reality is there that listen, what you do comes back to you. I have to think that that little boy. The Bible doesn't say this, but I have to think that that little boy gave up his lunch, and he probably thought, "I'm not going to have anything because these adults are going to eat it all." I have to think that that kid was stuffed that day, and I have to. I have to actually think in my mind. The way I see it is that kid went through his life always having God's provision for him. You know what I'm saying? It's not karma. Karma doesn't. Karma is not real. But the reality of reaping and sowing is real. What you do comes back to you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, Jesus challenged the disciples in Mark chapter 8. He says, don't you yet understand or comprehend? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and still not see, ears and not hear? How many wicker baskets full of leftover fragments did you pick up? I mean, he had to challenge them because they were trying to be skimpy, And God said, listen, when when we gave what we had, how many baskets were left over? Well, that's right. There was 12 baskets the first time and seven baskets full the the second time. Right? You know, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so the reality is, listen, there is this rule of reaping and sowing, of giving and receiving that God has for us. And so that's why he, he says to them, you give them something to eat. So, like, what would you, what could you give them to eat? What about you, Green Ridge? <laughs> what could you give them to eat today? I mean, that's what God is asking us. And if, if, if so, if you're if you're concerned that, number one, what you have is not enough, or number two, if you give what little you have, you'll have nothing left. Then why are you not thinking about God's provision in your life? I will tell you this. Anything that I've sacrificed for God, anything in my life that I've sacrificed for him, he has more than, more than aptly resupplied me in anything. There is nothing that I'm at a deficit with God for. Nothing. In fact, the deficit is all on my part. It's not on God's part. God has been nothing but good to me in my life. Right, and so uh, why would I ever be why would I ever be stingy towards the Lord when He resupplies way more than I could ever give? And then sometimes it's our revelation of who God is that becomes an issue, you know. Um, in Isaiah chapter six, verse one, let me set this up by saying King Uzziah was a godly king in Judah, and then King Uzziah dies, and the next guy, not so good. And sometimes we get concerned because who's in power. I want you to get this. It doesn't matter who's in power down here. What matters is who's in power up there. (laughs) All right. There is a throne in heaven that my Lord sits on, and no one else has ever sat on that throne. No one else ever will sit on that throne. It's his throne. He reigns supreme. Caesar is come and gone in this earth. And you know what? You can barely see anything left from them. God reigns eternal. And Isaiah has this moment that I hear so many Christians have because we sort of rub our hands and, and pine about how terrible things are in this world, you know? I mean, well, you know who's in power. Well, guess who else? Well, someone else was in power. And guess what? Someone else was in power. And, and we sort of we wrap everything up into this, and we forget that God is over all that stuff. He's over it all. And Isaiah has this moment, and he's, he starts out this chapter like, woe is me. In the year King Uzziah died... You know, when everything that was good died with him. You can almost hear it in his words, you know. What does he say happens? I saw the Lord. Because his eyes went off of who's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem to who's sitting on God's throne. (laughs) I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces; with two they covered their feet; with two they were flying. I and mean, these are freaky things. I mean, you see something like this, that's going to leave an imprint on you, right? All right? Um, and they were calling to one another. And so these seraphim, these these weird creatures, they're flying, and they're like they got wings here, wings here, wings here, and they're like flying. I, I can't even imagine this in my mind. What are they doing? They're they're At the top of their lungs, they're yelling this. You might say, well, they're not yelling, they're just saying it. No, no, you'll see why. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, they're making a declaration that, listen, no matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, God's glory is there. His glory is there. Do you believe that? Will you walk in that? Will you trust God in the midst of that to know that where you're at, His glory is. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So I mean, it wasn't just like they weren't going like, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord. I mean, it was loud. It's like shaking everything, you know. Woe to me! I cried. Now he's not saying woe to me because King Uzziah died. Now, now it's a different woe. Woe to me! I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. (laughs) I mean, this thing comes at you with a coal off the altar and a tongs. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. See, Isaiah comes to face-to-face with this realization that God is high and holy. He's bigger than him. It's not about who's who's living and dying down here. It's who's on the throne up there. And, and all of a sudden, he comes face-to-face with the idea that he is a sinful man. His holiness stinks in front of God. And, and listen, I'm so sick whenever I hear a Christian, it tells me how holy they are. Because listen, if you think you're holy, you don't know God. You have a revelation of God, you're gonna be like, Well, I thought I was good. I'm I'm a worm. I'm less than a worm, I'm a worm's I'm a worm's excrement. You know what I'm saying? I mean that's what you'd be saying if you understood who God is, all right? John, who was the beloved disciple, serves Jesus his whole life, has a vision of him in Revelation chapter one. And he falls on his face like a dead man. Why? Because even as good as John was, he was nothing. His holiness was nothing compared to God's. And if you rest on your own holiness, you'll never see God. You see God, you're going to see how your holiness just doesn't exist. It's not there. I'm not saying don't live holy, I'm just saying don't trust in that. You know? He's face to face with our humanity, face to face with sin, face to face with lack. We come to a place where we fully trust in Christ. And then listen to this. So this this is what happens all the time. I love it when Pentecostals, they run from one service to another service. In fact, there are some people, they go to church more nights of the week than they don't. I'm not against that. But if you're really getting a revelation of who Jesus is, you should be listening to what he's actually saying. And here... God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, they're not talking to third person, like, you know, because they're, you know, they're talking to each other. They're communicating with each other. And Isaiah actually hears what they're saying. And what, are, what is God talking about? He's not talking about stuff that's going on in the world. He's saying, Who will go for us? Who shall we send? Just like Jesus said, Hey, listen. The disciples come to him with food when he was there at Samaria. And he talked to the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, her life has changed. And the disciples come and they bring, they bring lunch. And Jesus is like, I've already eaten. And they're like, oh, did that woman give him food? Because they're all wrapped up in the food aspect of it. And Jesus says, listen, my food has nothing to do with your food. The fields are white unto harvest let's go out into the harvest field and let's, let's labor. And then he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest field. Listen, if you've got a revelation of God, you should be actively serving him and working for him and going for him. <clears throat> Not just going to get blessed. It's wonderful to have special services and get blessed and all that, but you can't live that way because you've got to actually serve the Lord sometime. There's a lost world out there that needs to hear about him. There are people that are hurting out there that need someone to be Jesus with skin on that they can actually experience Christ. And God is calling you to do that. He's telling you to give them something to eat. And sometimes we let ourselves get in the way of that. <clears throat> in 2002, uh, Laura and I, we took our family for our vacation. We took our family and we led a missions trip with Teen Mania. Sam Kimmel was uh, our program director and we we actually led a missions team of of teenagers and young adults to panama, and we we were part of the missions team there and so that was our vacation for the summer. It was awesome it was truly incredible so uh, Melissa and Heather were teenagers at the time, and Thomas was seven years old so um, you know and so we dragged him along. He was actually the first child that was allowed to go with teen mania without a nanny because we told them that Thomas was he, every every Whatever ministry we did, he he was there with us. He was not a foreigner in ministry. He wouldn't like bomb out in the middle of it, and he actually participated. It was really cool. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so as we go there, I'm a man of faith and 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 power, right? You know, and so <clears throat> on this day that I'm, I'm talking about, we were going to be evaluated by our our the people who evaluate our team, and so our team was going to be evaluated. So I'm a little nervous about this because it's not just me getting evaluated; it's my team getting getting evaluated, you know. So <clears throat> I'm a little anxious. Anybody ever been there? Or you're a little nervous? Okay. So, <clears throat> and I do get nervous. I know you don't think I do, but occasionally I do. So, um, and this was one of those occasions. And so we were going to get evaluated that day. And so, <clears throat> um, and so we got into the bus that morning and Sam sent us off and he said, there's going to be an evaluator that's going to follow you in this car. And then when you guys do ministry in that village you're going to, um, the evaluator is going to follow you. He's going He's going he's to grade you you know, and so, uh, and so I'm like, okay, and so as we leave, uh, you know, and I've this we're in this, like, this mini bus, it's, there's, like, 20 some of us in this bus, and we're going through into the hills of Panama, like, way way up in the middle of, like, nowhere Panama, and, like, some of the houses there, like, we got into this village finally, and some of the houses were just made out of, literally made out of mud, and where they had a door, they didn't even have a door, they had a, a curtain hanging there, And then there were other homes that they were made out of cinder blocks and like Latin, if you've been to Latin America, you know what it looks like, right? So, and then um, as we got there, it begins to rain and it begins to pour. And so that's annoying me, all right? Because I'm looking at what's happening and I realize we have to be graded today. We have to do our drama. We have to present, we have to, what they call, you know, casting out the net. We got to tell people about christ we gotta you know pray people in whatever and so i'm gonna be graded on this and so i'm, I'm sort of angry that it's raining because this is sort of putting a, a wrench in our in my plans you know because my plans are really what's important right right and so uh it, it's raining for 15 minutes a half an hour 45 minutes an hour still raining you know and so the students, the, the, you know, the team is getting antsy, and I'm trying to keep them occupied inside the bus as we're parked there. And uh, finally, the guy who's going to evaluate us comes into the bus, and he goes, listen, just don't worry about it. Just stay here and uh, after you know, go to lunch and then go to your next site after lunch. Don't worry about this here. We won't evaluate you today. So I'm like, oh, good. At the same time, this is, you know, if you don't get evaluated today, guess what's going to happen tomorrow, right? So – Anyway, and so I'm trying to keep the kids, I'm telling them, listen, we're not going to do the drama today. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to go into this village and everything. And they're like, well, we drove all this way here, and it's raining. And so it starts to let up, the rain starts to let up a little while later. And so I said to the students, I go, well, listen, if you guys want to go out, you can go out and prayer walk in the village, right? And so um, and so the students got out of the bus, and, they, and then so we broke them into four groups, and we sent one group that way, one group that way. One group that way, one group this way from the bus, you know, and so in this little village that we're there. So it's like the rain stops and the sun comes out, and it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place, but like the people are destitute and everything. So um and so I, I said to my translator, I said, Come on, come with me, let's go check. I want to check on the on this on the teams. And so when I got there, the teams I I, I had told them on the bus how to prayer walk. It's like when you prayer walk, you actually pray as you walk, right? And so, um, and so, this is what I'm telling them to do, and everything. So they go out. So I find the first team of kids, and and, and these kids are stopped outside this. There's like this this make, makeshift fence outside this home that's there. It's just cinder blocks, you know. Very, it'd be like what you put your tractor in here, or your or your your, your rake and your lawnmower in here and it's this, this person's home and these kids are outside the home like this oh god just touch these people let them hear you the kids think they're not going to do the drama there anyway so the kids the people aren't going to know about jesus you know and so oh and so i i'm like upset about this because that's not how your prayer walk <clears throat> right i mean they're not doing it right And so I go. I, I'm 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 going to say something to these guys. I'm like, ah, oh, and so I, I find another team. They're doing the same thing. They're like interceding for these people. The people are like peeking out their windows, like, why are these Americans here? They're dressed funny, we're all in costume, you know, and it's just bizarre. And so I I said to the translator, I go, man, this this is just this isn't how it's supposed to be. And so we went to the edge of the village and there was this house that like looked totally out of place. It looked like a house from here. Two levels, nice tile garage. I mean, you know, beautiful, beautiful, big carport. Um, you know, so I, I said to my translator, I go, We could do the drama here, it's got a roof. And so we go and we knock on the door of these strangers, nobody's home, but this woman comes out from the small house next door and, and so through the translator she asked me. You know, what do you need? And I said, well, you know, we're with Teen Mania. We're with this. We want to do a drama here in this village, but we don't have a place to do it. But this house would be perfect. We were asking if we get a permission to do the drama here and have everybody come to this house. It's the biggest house in the, in the village. And, and she goes, well, that's my son's house. He's away on business, but you could use it. And I'm like, oh, seriously? Like, like that easy? And she goes, no, I know you're from God. And I go, how do you know I'm from God? And she goes, it hasn't rained in six months here. (laughs) And I was angry at the rain. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we're our own worst, worst enemy because we forget that in the midst of everything we're going through, God is working all things together for good. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a reason for what he does. And I mean, listen, these things don't just happen willy-nilly with him. And I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily good on my part, but God will make it good. God will take it and make it good. God will take the bad and make it good. He takes the straw and weaves it into gold for us. You know, that's what he does in our lives. And we have to be willing to give him that little bit that we have. And say, Lord, here it is, if you can use this, if you can use these five little pieces of bread and two little fish, then you can have it, and God will use it. We work for Jesus. In Colossians chapter three, it says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, that the master you are serving is Christ. And so I've done a lot of jobs in my life. I work construction. I, I sort of worked Charlie, didn't I? Yeah, I work construction. I, I've been on staff here 35 years full time. But before that time, I did a couple other different kind of jobs. I work construction. I, I worked in a factory, the printing shop. I ran an offset press. I made plates. I did that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I worked. I painted. I did, uh, you know, yard work, that kind of stuff growing up. I worked for Palmans. I packed tomatoes at their tomato packing plant, which was a total mess the first day. But after that, it was okay. And then I also worked for them, I worked for Paulman's to butcher turkeys and capons. Uh, how many of you have ever eaten a Paulman's uh, turkey? Oh, they're so good. They really are good. You know, and so I've done a lot of, listen, all those jobs I did, none of them were insignificant. No job is insignificant. The job you're doing is not insignificant. And re- the reality is, you're working for God. You're working for Jesus at your job. He's the one who provides that. And you've got to see this as that, that there is nothing that's insignificant. Um, in 1809, let me share this one with you here. I've I got, I got to wrap up here, but let me share this. In 1809, Napoleon is marching through Europe. And so um, he's literally in Austria, on the battlefields of Austria. And if you were to talk to somebody in the know in 1809, they would tell you history is being made on the battlefields in Austria. And the reality is it was. And we know what happened to Napoleon. In fact, Napoleon—it was not only affecting the uh, uh, Europe; it was also affecting the New World as well. Napoleon had influence here in in in, in uh, North America, all right. And so, Napoleon is the force to be reckoned with in 1809. But guess what? Waterloo happens. He's defeated in 1809. At the same in that same year, um, in Holmes in England and the United States. William Gladstone was born. He would be one of Britain's greatest statesmen. Alfred Tennyson was born. He became uh, someone who had a profound influence in literature. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. A physician named Darwin and his wife that year gave named, uh, uh, named their newborn son Charles. Boy, he's had an impact on his world. And in 1809, in a log cabin in Kentucky... Poorest of poor, a young family had a child named Abraham, who became Abraham Lincoln, in 1809. And those women, at that time, if you were to ask them, is what you're doing, is having this baby, is it a significant thing? Well, after the pain is over, they'd be like, no, this, this kid is, this kid's going to grow. He's in a, in a one-room log cabin in Kentucky. There's not going to be any impact from this guy in history. Napoleon's the guy who's making all the impact. Guess what? guess what? Napoleon, Abraham Lincoln, still revered today. Right? You understand? We don't understand the implications of where we're at and what God can do with where we're at. And what little we have, if we give it to him, nothing is insignificant. In the kingdom of God, nothing is insignificant. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. You understand? I mean, listen, the work you've done, God is there. He he sees what you're doing for people. Because if God is all about, listen, he's not all about church. He's all about people. He's not all about our kingdoms here on this earth. He's all about people. If you were to hear the heartbeat of God, it would be souls, 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 souls. It's all about people, people, people. That's what God is. And so if you have this revelation of him, it should drive you to a point where you want to serve his people. You want to bring people into the kingdom. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Listen, I want to leave you with this scripture in First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, verse 58 in that great chapter as Paul talks about the return of Christ and how important that is and it's an incredible chapter, chapter 15. You know, those verses, I mean, many of us, we've heard them, we know them, you know, that that, uh, uh, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will go up to meet them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then he goes on to say this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I pulled that verse from the Amplified. I don't, I don't use the Amplified a lot, but listen to this in the Amplified. All right, Because there are some people here that have, that have actually worked themselves to exhaustion a week ago at vacation Bible school. All right, And sometimes the work that you have is exhausting, right? Listen to the Amplified, First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always exceeding in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, is not futile nor wasted. It is never without purpose. There was one point in my life where I looked back and I thought, you know, listen, the majority of the people I ministered to, I did youth ministry here for 20 years. The vast majority of those young people that I ministered to came through these doors. They had an experience, some sort of experience with Jesus Christ. Many of them, in fact, more than not, many of them no longer chose to serve the Lord. Does that make me a failure? Absolutely not. I've done what I know God has called me to do. And when you understand what God is calling you to do, you might say, I don't have enough. Listen, it's never stopped me from doing. I I don't have enough of anything. But God has always taken, I'm not, listen, there's better preachers, there's better singers, there's better worship leaders, there's better pastors. Uh, And I'm okay with that. But who I am, I give to God. The same is true for you. If you give what you have to God, God will use it and use it mightily for his kingdom and for his glory. But are you willing to give it up? How are we going to get enough bread to feed these people? You give them something to eat. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning as we finish this up here today. <clears throat> See, some of us are some of us are convinced that our lack is is that our lack is fatal. And I want you to know there is no fatal lack in you. What you have, God has given you, and God will use it mightily if you would give it back to Him. God is calling us on this day. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just say this. I believe we are in the last days. In fact, I believe we're in the last of the last days. So time is running short. As we have opportunity to serve the Lord, now is not the time to be chintzy. Now is not the time to hold back. Now is the time to give what you can while there's still time. Now is your time to work while it is day. For night is coming when no one will be able to work. But now it's day. Heck, we still have freedom. We can still, we can still uh, freely pronounce the gospel here in America. That day may soon come to an end. But until then, guess what? We're going to freely pro- proclaim the gospel. And you know what? When it becomes when it, when it comes time and you can't freely proclaim the gospel, guess what we're going to do? We're going to freely proclaim the gospel. <laughs> we got to serve them while there's opportunity. Give them what you have. Listen, some of you think you don't have anything to give. I'm not talking about your money. I never talk about money. I forget about money all the time. You know? But what you have to give is substantial because little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. Are you willing to give what little you have? Are you willing to not just say, listen, I could do that next year, 10 years from now. No, are you willing to do it now? Give it to God now. Let him use it now and see what benefits come from that. Is it always going to be, are you always going to feel great about what you've done? No, not always. But guess what? God is faithful in the midst of all that anyway. God will use you. Are you willing to let him use you? Green Ridge, you give them something to eat. You, you give them something to eat. God says it because he means it. He can use you. I believe in you, and I thank you for believing in me. But I believe God could do great things through your lives too if you would just let him do it. Jesus, challenge our hearts. Holy Spirit, even right now, challenge our hearts. I have to believe there's many of us in this room that would say, you know what? I just haven't been giving it out to God like I should. I haven't been giving him the little I had because maybe I thought it was too small. Maybe I thought it was insignificant. Maybe I thought it wasn't good enough. But Jesus, right now, I give it to you. Just right where you're at. Just in your own spirit, in your own heart. Just give that over to God. Give him over the little things that you have. When Moses comes to the burning bush, God tells him to take off his sandals. And then later on, he says to him, Hey, Moses, what do you got in your hand? And all Moses had was a stick. I mean, what can God do with a stick? (laughs) Well, he can part the Red Sea. He produced water out of a rock. He could pronounce plagues over Egypt. Moses carried that stick for the rest of his ministry. And God used it mightily. What do you guys have? What could you give them to eat today? I want to challenge you. What you have is significant. It's significant. And God is looking for it to be used. And let me just say this. As your pastor... Here at Green Ridge, if you have a gift to use, I need your gift. I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your giftings. I need you to serve the Lord. I need you to do what's necessary. You might say, well, I, I, you know, how, how, what does it matter if I just if I just go and teach some kids in a class? It matters eternal things. I can still remember that flannel graph picture from the feeding of the 5,000 when I was a kid down in a Sunday school class downstairs. It wasn't VeggieTales. It wasn't some newfangled thing. It wasn't this great video. It was some teacher putting up a piece of of cardboard on a piece of flannel that I can still see today vividly as I thought about the feeding of the 5,000. That's eternal. That teacher is dead and gone. But what she taught is still living on in my life. We need you to do that. We need you in the kingdom of God. You're necessary. We need you here. And God needs you. I need you as your pastor. I can't do it alone. But I know together we can see miracles happen. Jesus, bless your people. Fill our hearts with faith and belief in what you can do. Give us what we need. And then help us to be free to give out what you have in our lives. Whether it's little or whether it's much. Lord, as we are freely giving it, freely we will receive as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I know you have a calling on so many lives. So many lives have things that you have placed upon them to do, to serve. Even as you said in John 17, that you brought glory to your Father by doing what he sent you to do. Lord, we want to bring glory to you by doing what you sent us to do as well. And help us to fulfill it, be faithful to do it. In Jesus' name. Just don't you stand raise your hands. I want to bless you today Thanks for being here as we start this last week of July It's hard to believe next Sunday will be August 1st So if you haven't experienced something in July you've been wanting to experience get on it You got a week left to do it <laughs> Make the most of it Let me bless you raise your hands Jesus bless these people now bless them Fulfill your promises in them help them to be fruitful Help them to have increase, Lord, expand their tents. Lord, be that Jehovah-Jireh, the provider, the one who is there. And then, Lord, help us to not be stingy with your provision. But, Lord, the faster we can give out what you give us, the faster it will come in. Help help them to cast their bread on the water, Lord, and let it come back to them, pressed down, running together, uh, shaken together, running over. Lord, do this in their lives. I pray this blessing upon them now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, Lord. Bless you, folks. Have an awesome, awesome week.